Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Pull out your Crosswalk Notes. Let's dive into the last letter of the seven letters in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And we're starting at verse 14, so open up your Bibles. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel comfortable to open up your Bible app. This is Laodicea, and as you'll see from the title, this is the lukewarm church. They were neither hot nor cold in their relationship with Jesus in their spiritual life. I'm going to talk about what were the reasons behind that. I'm a pastor, and as you might imagine, um, I do a fair amount of writing and speaking. And so words are interesting to me. And one of the things I often love to, to know about is the history of a word. And I found that the word priority actually has a very interesting history. That it comes from a Latin word, originally a Latin root, prior, or we, would, we might say it prior, uh, which means first. And it was, this word priority came into existence in the English language from the Latin about the 14th century. That's the first time we begin to see the word priority used in English. The interesting thing about the history of this word is that for the first five centuries of its existence, it was never, we can't find any evidence that it was ever used in the plural. In other words, priorities. And that's, that's because when it was first used from the Latin, prior, meaning first, priority meant what's really first in your life. My, uh, my son and daughter, my oldest son, my oldest daughter, when we lived in Africa, they would love to race to the generator shed. And uh, they were small, uh, three or four or five years old. And the three of us would race to this generator shed where we would crank and crank and, and this big diesel, diesel generator would come on and provide electricity for us for several hours because we were off the grid. Well, we would all three about 6 p.m. at night race there. And my son, my oldest son would get there. He would tap the door to the generator shed and say, I'm first. And then my daughter, two years younger, would come along about five or six seconds later, tap the door on the generator shed and say, I'm first. And that would always cause every night a huge row, a big fight, because my son would have to point out to his sister, there can only be one first. But in the 20th century, with the word priority, things shifted and the word priority got demoted to priorities. And you can probably guess some of the reasons why priority became priorities. That now people began to think of it not as what's first, but what's sort of important in my life. And so instead of a priority, one thing that is the most important thing to me we now have things that matter to us, but they might not be the most important to us. And in fact, now we have to add words to priority to get back to the original meeting, don't we? So instead of just saying, that's my priority, we say, that's my highest priority, my 
first priority, my chief priority. All to get back to what the word originally meant in the first place. Now, why am I bringing this up? I know you love the history of words, right? Well, actually, what this is all about is the problem that was taking place in Laodicea because the history of this word illustrates exactly what was going on in Laodicea. At one point, these Christians, and they were Christians, they were believers, had had a single priority. They knew what was most important in their lives. But over time, in their walk with Jesus, that had devolved into multiple priorities. Priorities that they felt they had to juggle in life. And what that ended up with, as you see from the title, is that when the people went from a priority to multiple priorities, it led to a relationship with Jesus Christ in which he was no longer the most important thing in their hearts, their minds, and their lives. And instead, he became just one of the many things that they were juggling in their life. And we're going to see today how Jesus felt about being one of the several or many things that the Laodiceans were trying to juggle in their life. We're going to hear his response to this. Basically, where it ends up leading the Laodiceans is settling in their relationship with Jesus, which is usually what it ends up in, right? If you're juggling priorities, you have to get to a point where not everything can be the, the first most important thing. On some of those things, you're going to have to settle for less of a relationship with that person or thing if you've got several things that you consider of importance. And that's what was happening to the, to the Laodiceans. Let's see what Jesus had to say to them. So first of all, let's start with this very important question, not only for the Laodiceans, but for us. In connecting with God, what causes me to settle for less? What causes me to consider Jesus one of my priorities, but not my priority? What causes me to not want to keep on learning and growing and, and being closer to Jesus, but to settle for a relationship that's, that's less than it could be? That's the question. Here's what Jesus has to say. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus does in this letter what most authors of letters did in this day and age. He doesn't sign his letter at the end of the letter the way that we do today. If you read the epistles of Paul, you'll see that he does the same thing. This was the culturally appropriate way to do it. He signed his letter to the Laodiceans at the beginning. Only he doesn't call himself Jesus. It is Jesus, but he says, here's me. And by the way, I'm, I'm sending this to you through the angel of the church in Laodicea. If you've been here for previous messages, you know that that word angel means messenger. It was sent to them through their pastor. And he says, I'm the amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He identifies himself as that. Now, why is he identifying himself as the amen? Do you know what amen means? This is most certainly true. This is really the truth. I am the one who can do nothing else 
but be honest with you, but be truthful with you. When John the Apostle, the same Apostle recording these letters from Jesus to the congregations, writes his gospel, John chapter 1, Jesus is described as full of grace and full of truth. That's what Jesus is reminding them of. I'm the one who is full of truth, the amen. He even describes what it means. I'm the faithful and true witness. I see things and I tell people what I honestly see. Now let's pause there before we go on to the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is foreshadowing for them what they're about to hear. And you know this because you've had these conversations. What kind of conversation are you about to have when someone comes up to you and says, I'm an honest person, and look, I just have to be truthful with you. What kind of conversation are you about to have? You're about to have a difficult conversation. Because what that person is saying is, I'm seeing some things that I think it might be difficult for you to hear, but because I... I am who I am in my heart, an honest person, a truthful person. There's really nothing else I can do but express these things to you. That's what Jesus is saying. I must tell you what is most certainly true. And then he goes on and he foreshadows even more when he says, the ruler of God's creation. As we're going to see in just a moment, the Laodiceans, part of the problem with their multiple priorities is that they were finding their safety, their security, and their comfort, which were the things they were pursuing, which would have been fine if they pursued them in Jesus and in their relationship to Jesus. That's, that's a, a, a major reason why we uh, follow Jesus, for safety, security, and, and the comfort that we get out of his promises. Unfortunately for the Laodiceans, due to reasons I'll explain in a little bit, they were seeking and pursuing safety, security, and comfort in the created things of this world. In the created rather than the creator. And so what does Jesus have to say to them? All that stuff that you think is going to make you feel comfortable... All that stuff that when you go through trouble and you go, well, at least I can fall back on this. All that stuff that makes you feel secure in the tough moments of life that's out here in creation. I'm the one who made it. I'm the one who owns it. And I'm the one who controls it. And so you might want to think about whether or not you want to find your safety, security, and comfort in the stuff that I made, I own, and I control, or in me, the one who created, owns, and controls it. Just think about that for a moment. That's what Jesus is saying as he signs off on who he is writing to them. All right, so let's, let's write this down. Jesus is way too righteous to back away from conflict. You know people who are gracious, so they won't confront. Well, Jesus is full of grace, but he is also full of truth. And so he is about to create some conflict here because he can see that the way the Laodiceans are going is going to leave them empty. It's going to leave them empty. And he, he loves them too much to see them on a path that is ultimately going to leave them empty. 
He's way too righteous. He, he cares about you and about the right things for you. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus starts this letter after he identifies himself with, here's the situation as it stands. Here's what is. Let's talk about what is right now. As I look at you and I can see what you do, as he says here, I know your deeds. I see some things that, well, they're less than exciting to me. He, he starts, and, and I think we can understand this by saying you're neither hot nor cold. You can understand it just by remembering the last time you went to Starbucks. Have you ever noticed that when you go to Starbucks, there's a whole menu of hot items And there's equally a pretty close menu of very cold items. You can get get your hot latte, whatever, venti, yada, yada. Or you can get your iced coffee, venti, yada, yada, right? But I've never seen an item on the Starbucks menu that says lukewarm. And in fact, I actually have seen people return a cup of coffee that they felt was not hot or cold enough. The people at Starbucks know if they try to give you something lukewarm, they're going to run themselves out of business. Jesus says in our hearts, we should know that a relationship with Jesus that attempts to be shallow, comfortable, kind of hold Jesus at a distance. I want a relationship with him. I I believe in him, but let's not get too passionate about this. Let's not get too excited about a relationship with Jesus. Let's not carry this too far. When we start to go down that path and think that way, we can expect Jesus is going to confront us. We can expect that he is going to challenge us. And that's exactly what he does with the Laodiceans. He goes, I'm going to challenge your thought, your thought process here. If you think you can keep me at a distance, you can keep it casual, shallow, and comfortable with me. Because I never kept it casual. I never kept it comfortable with you. I put myself through a great deal of discomfort and I was serious about pursuing you and your salvation to the point of going there to the cross for you. And anyone Jesus is saying to us who realizes the depth of his love and the willingness and the passion of his pursuit for us, for each one of us, as Seth said earlier, anyone who knows that It's just very, very confusing to Jesus how they could not want a very deep and very personal relationship with him right back because clearly that's what he's seeking with us. Write this down. If your goal with Jesus is to keep it casual, shallow, and comfortable, expect a challenge from Jesus. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Jesus is really telling us, 
Here's why the Laodiceans felt okay about keeping their relationship with Jesus at arm's length, keeping it casual, shallow, and comfortable. It's because they didn't feel a need for that relationship, not really a true need deep down in their hearts and souls. And why was that? Because they were chasing all of their priorities. Let me tell you a little bit about Laodicea. It's important to understand the history of this town. Laodicea was on a major trade route. It had been blessed with a very advantageous position on top of a hill. So it was a well-defended city that was important for this day and age. It had uh, a a very um, easy supply of water coming to it, which was also important. Uh, That water was... Uh, actually, the result, this single river was the result of two streams flowing into it, one from a mountain range, very cold water, and one that actually came from another place, another town nearby that emerged from some hot springs. So do you see where Jesus is going with this? What happened to this river that flowed near, near the city when that very cold mountain water merged with that hot spring water, what, what did their river end up being? Lukewarm, right? And he's really saying, I, I know you guys, when you want cold water, you, you get over closer to the mountains. When you want hot water, you get it from the, the stream that's coming from the hot springs. And, I, and, and it's clear that this water that actually comes to your city, well, it's water and that's great, but it's lukewarm. And I don't want you to be like that water. The additional thing that we all need to know about Laodicea was these people were wealthy. This was the North Scottsdale of, of Asia Minor of its day. It, it had it going good because of this trade route. And also because they had found an ointment, a, a type of uh, a set of minerals that they could put together into a medical ointment that literally became ravingly popular throughout the whole Roman Empire. It became so popular that they were shipping it everywhere. And eventually it attracted a medical college to be built in the city. So in came the influx of, of highly educated, successful people. They also developed a system for breeding sheep that, that, were, uh, that had black wool that was the most coveted fashion statement of its day. And so here was a city that was a fashion center because they were breeding this, this black wool that everybody wanted and was willing to pay a mountain for. They had this ointment that everybody felt that they needed for their health. They were on a major trade route. So what do you think the, the priorities began to be? You see, what, what happened was the people of Laodicea began to think, well, I can't miss my opportunity. There's so much opportunity. I, I, can, I can be wealthy. And, and in fact, if you study the footprint of homes that were built in Laodicea and compare those, which we can still see today, despite the fact that they're ruins, you compare that to the footprint of a home in Ephesus or Smyrna or one of the Pergamum, one of the other cities that these letters were written to, the footprint of those homes was much larger. Because these people were extremely, they were extremely successful in a financial sense. And so when in came Jesus, what, what's the statement they make? You say I'm rich. 
I've acquired wealth and I, I do not need a thing. Will you underline those words, do not need a thing? There's the key problem. Like if we get to that point where we've pursued comfort, and in the case of the Laodiceans, they've actually gained comfort. We're rich. Now we can confuse ourselves and buy into Satan's lie that we don't really need a savior because we're doing pretty good on our own. And when you don't feel a need, when there's no thirst, when there's no hunger for the help that Jesus has to offer because you are busy chasing other priorities, there is no way for Jesus to become your priority. Because you're just, you're like the person who comes to the Thanksgiving dinner table having had a large snack before you got there. And there's beautiful turkey, and there's, there's stuffing, and, and there's cranberry sauce to die for, and you're like, you know, I'm good. And the rest of us are all chowing down, but you had a snack. You don't have a need. You're not hungry. You're not thirsty for a savior. And therefore, there's no way he's going to be a priority because you're chasing the other priorities like the Laodiceans were that made them feel like, I've got a fallback. You know what? If, if things go south for me, I still have this home that I built and, and bought. I, I still have this nice family that I can put things on the table for. I still have a great business. Whatever it was that the Laodiceans were falling back on, isn't it interesting that we often in our own world today, 2,000 years later, have those same things that tend to make us feel secure in life? That make us say, I don't know, I can't get too excited about church and I certainly can't get too excited about Jesus because I'm comfortable, I'm rich, I don't really need him. And that's because we've invested ourselves in the pursuit of other priorities and what I like to call counterfeit wealth. And I want to define that for you. Counterfeit wealth is whatever is not God, but gives me a feeling of complete security, gives me that feeling I don't need a thing. Jesus confronted that in a young man in a crowd as he was As he was going around teaching, there was a young man who said, Teacher, will you force my brother to share our parents' inheritance with me? And and clearly the first thought I think to me is, yeah, Jesus is going to do that because he's righteous and he wants things to be shared fairly. He's going to step right up to that challenge and say, yeah, let me help you. Bring your brother in. Let's get a little counseling. I'll be the judge and I'll figure that out for you. But guess what? Jesus doesn't say that. He looks at that young man in the crowd and he says, you need to be on the watch out for all kinds of greed, brother. And then he shares this parable with this young man in the crowd. He says, there was once a farmer that had a bumper harvest. And that that farmer was actually kind of troubled by that bumper harvest because he realized, "I, I don't have barns big enough to put this harvest away in. And if I could succeed and get barns that are big enough and put this entire harvest away, I'm set. I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm good. I'm successful. And therefore, because I'm successful, now I'm happy and I feel secure. And so this farmer does this. He builds bigger barns. He is puts everything away, 
And he folds his arm and he says, man, I don't need a thing now. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And then a message comes to that farmer. And the message is, enjoy it quick. Eat, drink, and be merry tonight because tomorrow you're going to die. In other words, everything that that man thought that was going to grant him security, he wouldn't be able to enjoy and it was not going to give him the security at all that he thought he needed. And he was completely unprepared for the most important day in his life. And if you've been here before, you've heard me, you've heard Pastor Dan teach on what's the most important day of your life. The most important day of your life is the day you die because that's the day that you face Jesus, you face the judgment, and you face eternity either in heaven or in hell. He was not prepared because he was finding his security in other things. He was juggling priorities rather than singly picking out a priority, Jesus, and a relationship with him. Jesus confronts that. Now, let let me say this to you. That counterfeit wealth thing, there's a reason I I define it as whatever. Because it's not always money. It's not always possession. It's not always a large house or a successful business or a sweet ride. It can be that. But it is often other things too. And, And really what it is is whatever you tend to fall back on when you're stressed to make you feel comfortable again. Because if you're seeking comfort, and if you're seeking security, all you have to do is ask yourself, what is that? It might be the fact that you have a large and wonderful, loving family. And you say to yourself, you know, I don't need a thing, really, because I have this beautiful family that surrounds me. And whenever I'm in trouble, I can always fall back on my parents. I can always fall back on my brothers and sisters. I know they'll step up and help me. And, and the interesting thing about counterfeit wealth is it's not wrong to think these things. What's wrong about it is when we put them in the place of Jesus. If, if you feel that your only security or that your main source of security is the fact that you have a spouse that you can rely on, Jesus says, that ain't it. If, if you, as some of you have been taught this, Get your education. It's so important to get a good, solid education. Why? Because once you have that degree, you can always fall back on, you could finish it, couldn't you? Your education. And and you can run through all kinds of things that can become counterfeit wealth and, and just run through things like what calms your heart, What puts your your soul and your spirit at peace? Sometimes it's a physical thing. Some of you love to work out. Some of you never miss a day at the gym and you eat clean and you, no matter what party is going on, is like, no, got to go home and go to bed. Got to get my eight hours of beauty rest. Why? Because you've bought into the ages old Geritol commercial that says when you've got your health, you've got everything. I just dated myself right there. (laughs) Right? You see, that's the phrase. When you've got X... 
You've got everything. What is that for you? When I've got X, I've got everything. And any answer that's not God or Jesus, that's the wrong thing. Just to be blunt. And how wrong is it? Let's, by the way, that little line, I'm not giving you what yours is. You, you write down what yours is. Okay? My counterfeit wealth. Here's what Jesus says. You think you're so well off and you're safe and you don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Remember the old Hans Christian Andersen tale, right? The one where he talks about this this very wealthy emperor who was kind of vain and loved to wear the best clothes. And he has these two scam artist tailors that, that know about his vanity and about his love of great fashion and clothing. And they come up to him and they say, Emperor, we have got some amazing fabric that we just found. It is the latest thing in the fashion world. And we want to make a suit for you out of it. This is going to be the kind of suit that you can wear in the, in the, in the best situations, the most important events. And it is awesome. Like no, no fabric hangs like this fabric. And you're going to look great in it. You know what's very interesting about this fabric, Emperor? Is that if you're not fit for your position, or if you're just really, really stupid, people who are not fit for their position are really, really stupid. For whatever odd reason, they can't see this fabric and how beautiful it is. So these guys go back because the Emperor says, Oh yeah, I've got to have a suit made out of that fabric. And they make him a suit. Out of nothing, exactly. And the day of the fitting comes, and he stands there, and they're, you know, they're bringing out the suit, fitting him for the suit. And what does it he want to tell them? He doesn't want to tell them, look, I can't see a thing. Why not? Because what does it mean? They've framed it beautifully. Well, Emperor, you must not be fit for your position if you can't see this fabric. You must be really, really stupid. So after they fit him, they call in all of his most important officials who've also been told the same thing. And what do they do? They fawn all over the emperor like, dude, that's an amazing suit. Can you hook me up with the the tailors? I want one made for myself too. And then the emperor says, this is so awesome. Let's Let's have a parade. He goes out and everybody in the whole kingdom knows this story about this fabric. And they're all like, Oh my goodness, this emperor is wearing this amazing suit until a little child in the crowd, too young to understand what's going on, says, why is the emperor not wearing any clothes? Why is he naked? You see, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Is that we can be fooled and scammed into thinking that the things that will give us security and comfort in this life, the created things, are much better than the creator himself. And at the end of the day, Jesus says, if you decide to pursue that, what you're going to be left with is wearing the emperor's clothes. And I want you to write that down because I think that's so important for you to keep in mind. If I settle for counterfeit wealth instead of true wealth, then I am going to be left wearing the emperor's clothes. 
That's what is. People of Laodicea, you have many priorities. You're trying to juggle them all. But in that, our relationship has suffered. You've settled. Our relationship could be so much bigger and so much better. Let's get passionate about this, Jesus is saying. And and if you don't, there's going to be a problem, a huge problem. And I, I detest it that it's going this way. In fact, if you go back up, notice where it says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, Revelation 3.16. You know what that word actually means? It actually means vomit. So you understand the difference between spitting something out of your mouth and vomiting something, don't you? Spitting means you find something distasteful. So you, you just take it in a little bit and then you spew it out because you find it bitter or just it's, it's distasteful. Vomit is much more than that. It means you've taken it all the way into your stomach and it's made you ill. And you completely are revulsed by it and your body rejects it. See what Jesus is saying here? And that's why I don't like the weakness of I will spit you out. This this Greek word literally means I will vomit you out. Now Jesus has said, let me let me be honest. Let me be honest. This is how revolting I find it when someone tries to keep me at a distance. Yeah, I'm a believer, but I prefer that my relationship with Jesus stay kind of shallow kind of comfortable. I don't want it I don't want it to be too close or too challenging. Jesus says that revolts me. I want to vomit when I see someone who wants to have that kind of relationship with me. That's what is you Laodiceans and you need to hear that from me honestly because I'm the amen, the faithful and true witness. You make me want to throw up. Whew. That's pretty straightforward. But now Jesus comes and he says, it could be so much more. Let's dream a little bit about what could be. If this is the the ugly situation that is, what could be? And so he goes on and he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I love how Jesus in this passage uses stuff that they are used to. That Remember, the salve was their export to the entire empire, the, the clothing fashion industry that they had. He's using this stuff to say, this is what you need from me. Flip the page. What Jesus is saying to them is, imagine, if you will, that there is a wealth that can truly make you feel secure, that can provide real comfort to your heart. Jesus says, pursue and gain these. And what are they? What is gold refined in the fire? Gold refined in the fire is this beautiful message of the good news of Jesus forgiving you all your sins. It's the gospel. Gold refined in the fire is the message of the cross and the victory at the empty tomb. It's the reassurance that not only have all of your sins been forgiven, but 
you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit to to begin to overcome sin in your life and live a more sanctified life bit by bit by bit every day, that you've been given the gift of heaven. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the gold that Jesus wants us to pursue and possess. He wants us to have white clothes to wear, which everywhere in the Bible simply means that not only did Jesus suffer and die for us, but he also lived for you. And and he lived a perfect life for you. And all of those righteous deeds have been woven together into this spiritual garment, white robes, which now Jesus places on you through faith. And he says, now when God sees you, he doesn't see clothes that are dirty, shameful, and soiled. He sees you in a beautiful white garment. He sees you as perfect. He wants to come to you and embrace you because you are his dearly loved, perfect child. Through wearing these beautiful white garments that Jesus has made for you out of his deeds. You don't have to pursue God any longer by trying to to please him with your own goodness. Just receive Jesus' goodness through faith. And finally, salve to put on your eyes. That's faith worked, a spirit worked faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit calls you and gathers you to faith in Christ. And when you believe in Jesus through the power and work of the Holy Spirit, your eyes are opened. It's like the old hymn. I was blind, but now I see. And with healed spiritual eyes, you can now truly identify who God is and what the single most important and most valuable source of security and comfort is. Your highest priority, your true priority, Jesus Christ. You see him clearly. Jesus says, get those. I think we can understand passion about purchasing things, can't we? What what did we just go through? Oh, yeah. Black Friday. Man, I know I have friends, even some family members, who spend two or three days plotting and planning their whole itinerary for Black Friday. They gather their friends up. They team up. They make a deal out of Black Friday, and they're up all night making sure that they can purchase the things they want. And I love, I never, I, I'm not trying to say I'm righteous by any means, because certainly I have my temptations when it comes to stuff. But what I love to do on Black Friday is get on Reddit and look, at, because Reddit has this amazing uh, cache of horror stories from Black Friday. And I like to read those horror stories. It is the funnest thing in the world. This, this last Thanksgiving, uh, there was a question, what's your biggest horror story about Black Friday? This one, this one young man wrote in, he said, you know, about seven, eight years ago, uh, I, I was working in a toy store as a young man. It was a part-time job I had. And that was the year 1998 of the Furby craze. Remember the Furbies? Right? And this store had gotten all of 10 Furbies. Major toy store, it got 10 Furbies, right? So the people are out there. It's a Furby craze. They're lining up early for the Furbies. 
the store decides to give one of the Furbies away to a, a needy child. So that one is gone. They have nine Furbies left. So they print out tickets for the Furbies. This young man, uh, probably still a teenager, uh, who works part-time, he's picked as the lucky one to hand out the Furby tickets to the first nine people in line. So he squeezes out the front door. The door is not very comfortably locked behind him to keep the people from storming in. And he hands out the first ticket to the first person in line. And all of a sudden, as he's reaching to give the second ticket to the second person in line, he's tackled from behind by this crazed lady who wants nothing more seriously than she wants a Furby for her children. And she is grabbing for these tickets in his hand. And I don't mean just grabbing. This is an all-out wrestling match. The young man writes, she broke two of my fingers trying to snatch those Furby tickets out of my hand. Now, is that passion? That is passion. And what, what we can value from that story is that's a perfectly clear picture of the kind of passion Jesus would for when we're buying gold refined in the fire, white clothes to wear and salve to put in our eyes. In fact, I long for the day when one of you comes up here, tackles me on the stage, and breaks two of my fingers trying to grab my Bible from my hand. That's going to be awesome. That's the passion that Jesus wants us to have. So, here's what Jesus says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. And again, that word is a little bit weakly translated for my taste, Literally, it means get passionate. Or maybe another way of putting it is be serious. Have you ever had that conversation with someone that maybe you're in a relationship with? And, and they're saying, but I am passionate about you. And you're going like Jesus does. That's great, but I know your deeds. Are you really passionate about me? Because if you are... Get serious. That's what Jesus is saying to the people of Laodicea. And repent. Change course. Respond with your actions. Jesus, when he says, I know your deeds, you know what he's saying to the people of Laodicea? You say you're passionate about me. I say you're lukewarm. You know why? I can see your calendars. And what I know is priority creates focus, and focus creates pursuit. I can see from your calendar where your focus is and where your pursuit is, and that tells me what your priority is. I can look at your checkbook, Jesus is saying to the people of Laodicea. You say you're passionate about me? I can see the checks that you write. I know your deeds. And I can tell what your focus and your pursuits are just by studying your checkbook. And guess what? Jesus knows our deeds too. He knows what our priority is. He knows where our focus is based on that priority. 
And he knows what our pursuits are based on our focus. That's an unbroken chain. Your priority gives you a focus. Your focus gives you your pursuits. Jesus says, I know your deeds. And so those whom I love, I love that. Here's why I have to create this conflict with you, people of Laodicea. Why? Because I love you too much to see you wearing the emperor's clothes. Too much to get scammed by counterfeit wealth that is not true wealth, that's going to leave you naked on the day of judgment, that's not going to give you the comfort even that you want to have here. You're building your comfort on all these created things, your, your business, your, your cash flow, your, your bank account, your house. Guys, he's saying to the people of Laodicea, that's all shaky. It can go away like that in a moment. Don't get your comfort and your security there. Buy it from me. And by the way, I'm going to give you everything that you need to buy it from me. You don't have to spend a dime of your own money. You don't have to spend a dime of your own effort. It's all free. It's my gift to you. So the even better news, the good news is that there's wealth that can provide real security. The even better news is that we have a Savior who loves us enough to call us out to real commitment. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now to understand this passage, understand that it's sometimes been misunderstood. Often this passage has been has been interpreted as if it's directed to an unbeliever. And this is Jesus calling an unbeliever to come to faith, to be converted. It's not that. Remember, the Laodiceans are neither hot nor cold. They're believers. So this is Jesus talking to someone who is already a Christ follower, a whole church of people who are already believers in Christ. And he's saying, I'm knocking. What am I to you? Remember, a few weeks ago, we started Hashtag Church. It's a beautiful illustration for us today. We said that we want people at this church to easily be able to take steps from being a guest, that is a casual acquaintance, to being a friend, to being a family member. Ultimate, that's our ultimate goal. We want, you to, we want you to be on this journey here at our church of going from being a guest to a friend to a family member. And we said, we're gonna, we have these environments, and we called them Porch for guests. We called them living room for for friends. And we said the kitchen is the environment for our family members. Because where do you eat your Thanksgiving dinner with family? It's, It's all right there at the kitchen table, right? That's for family. Does that help you understand what's happening here? What's Jesus' expectation when he knocks at the door of your heart? What's he thinking? Is he thinking, I'm knocking at the door of a casual acquaintance who thinks of me as a casual acquaintance? A sometimes guest in his home? Is he thinking that in your heart you're saying, oh, that's a friend at the door? Or as Jesus knocks at the door of your heart who believe in Jesus already, is he thinking, I'm knocking at the door of a family member? who's going to invite me in, sit me down at the table, and we're going to have the most amazing Thanksgiving dinner everywhere, uh, uh, ever, as family. What's Jesus thinking? You know. And what are the Laodiceans doing? 
knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, that's just that, that person from down the street that I don't know very well. I don't know if I want to open the door to him. I mean, I, I kind of like him. He's a sort of nice guy, but let's keep him a casual acquaintance. I'm going to pretend like I'm not home. That's what's ticking Jesus off. And frankly, brothers and sisters in Christ, some of us are doing the same thing. Jesus wants a deeper, more passionate relationship with you. He wants you to not be on a plateau, satisfied. He certainly wasn't satisfied in his focus on you, in his making you his highest priority, in his pursuing you all the way to death on a cross. That's how much he loves you and wants you to be his family member, his his brother and sister, so that together we can all be children of the Heavenly Father. His love and passion for you is immense. And now when he comes, he says, look, here I am. I stand at the door. And he's saying this to you as well as to the Laodiceans. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we're going to have the deepest possible relationship, family relationship. And I will eat with that person and they with me. Write this down. The best news is that Jesus is fully committed to you, to a real relationship with you, one that is serious, one that is deep, and one that is not comfortable but uh, but, uh, challenging. Christ promises in Revelation, every one of these letters has ended with a promise, and here's ours. To the one who is victorious, that is to the one who hears these things, repents of a shallow, self-satisfied, I've got everything I need relationship with Jesus, so I don't really need you, Jesus. If you repent of that, turn around, seek a deep and true relationship with Jesus, seek a serious relationship, a challenging relationship with him. To the one who is victorious in all of that, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. You want control of your life? You want to feel perfectly secure? You want to know that one day you're going to sit right up here on my throne with me? Let's be passionate about one another, Jesus says. Let's let's really go for it in our relationship. Just as I was victorious following the cross and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying this, don't settle. A serious, deep, challenging relationship with Jesus guarantees you. That's his promise. It guarantees you a final and eternal win. All that other stuff that you're thinking, you know, if I can just get this salve business going really good in the empire, that's a win. And if I can get my flock of sheep with all this black wool happening, oh my goodness, that's a win. All that stuff for you, whatever it might be, that's your fallback, your win in trouble. Jesus says, you want a real win? You want a real victory? It's found in relationship with me. I made you my priority. I made you my focus. I made 
you my pursuit. I stand at the door and I knock. Let me into the depths of your heart. Let's be family. Don't settle. A serious, deep, challenging relationship with Jesus guarantees you a final and eternal win. What does this look like? Let me, let me just end for a minute there. Some of you are thinking, what does a passionate relationship look like? And I want to tell you, it does look somewhat like cheerleading. A lot, a lot of you put cheerleaders down in your head. You're like, ah, they're just... Cheerleaders are actually important. You know why? Every place where there is just an outpouring, a verbal, a, a, a demonstration of what's, what we're really excited about, that helps other people get excited about it too. And every place where it's kind of dull and humdrum and you're like, my faith is mine and I have a deep relationship with Jesus, but that belongs to me and I really don't want to show. I, I'm not interested in being a cheerleader for Jesus. I don't want to show because it's personal. You know the danger and the harm of that? Is that nobody else knows but you. And, and, and therefore, they might be willing to be developed into a, a passionate relationship with Jesus or already have one. But you're not there to encourage each other because no one knows, because no one's actually being outwardly passionate about their relationship. So yes, be a cheerleader. And show people how much you love and are thankful for Jesus' love for you. But it does go deeper than that. And I'm going to use the word respond. I'd encourage you, find a place on your notes and write down the word respond. Because when Jesus says repent here, he's really saying that. How are you going to respond to my love for you? How are you going to respond in your deeds, your daily actions? How are you going to respond, more importantly, in your heart and your mind? And what is that going to look like as you fellowship with other believers in a congregation where all of us together are responding? Like, like we did to love on our community in, in, uh, in the whole FIDA family effort. Man, if you want to hear passionate stories, listen to somebody who delivered a meal on Thanksgiving Day or before Thanksgiving Day to these families. They are passionate because their love for Jesus played out in their actions. And most of all, it's this. Be confident that God is your true security. See Philippians 4.19? And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for promising to meet all our needs, to be our place of true safety and security and comfort. Help everyone in this room today to memorize the thoughts of that passage that all our needs are met in Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege, not only to read the words written to these Christians in these seven congregations, but also to hear and learn from all their experiences. God, here in this church, open our minds and our hearts to listen to your words, the words that your son Jesus had for them and has for us. God, we ask you that as we've opened your word these past seven weeks, you would guide our hearts and minds so that the word that was sent to those churches and those places would also be applicable for us, for our families, and for our churches. 
And Lord, we especially pray today for those who may be lukewarm or, or love and know people who are keeping Jesus at a distance, that this message would educate and more importantly, stir and motivate them. Our hope is, is that our souls and our spirits, our minds and our wills would be passionately heated to love you, to pursue you, to obey you, to enjoy you. So we ask for the Holy Spirit to lead our time, to guide our words, to open our ears, so that you can be the true priority of our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In the name of our righteous and holy, our loving and faithful Savior, Jesus. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Just remember these words. Priority leads to focus, leads to pursuits. And and if you can just remember priority, focus, pursuits, you're going to know where your priority needs to be because Jesus first made you his priority and his focus. And he pursues you until he possesses you fully. And that's what he wants you to have for eternity, to, to be his possession for eternity and him to be yours. This message today, I hope, you, uh, I hope encourages all of us to, to seek a more passionate relationship with Jesus. Let me send you out with, with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. If you have a prayer request you want prayed about, just right now, stay here in the auditorium. The prayer team will be, will be down. We'll see you out on the patio. Greet someone that you don't know on the way out.